0: Listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Well, good morning, everyone, and uh, happy Mother's Day. So it is Mother's Day, and um, Hopefully, if you're a mother, you celebrate and have a wonderful day today. Um, I also know that uh, for a lot of folks, uh, holidays like this, Mother's Day, Father's Day, even other holidays, family holidays, Thanksgiving and Christmas, can be very difficult. Um, if you've lost uh, a significant one, you kind of experienced that loss, or if um, your expectations to kind of participate in that way of life weren't realized in the way that you thought they might be. And so we just want, to, want you to be aware that um, we are cognizant, too, of, of your, your experience, and we pray for you, and we bless you. It was this past week, also, uh, Teachers Appreciation Week. Do we have teachers around? A couple? Yeah, very good. Hey, teachers. And uh, I think one day last week was like Nurses Appreciation Day. Was that? I mean, there's a lot of holidays these days, right? <laughs> Hallmark has taken over. Um, uh, in our elders' meeting this past Wednesday, uh, someone had said, it's interesting how our culture kind of seems to want to um, celebrate that sense of care and love and nurturing kind of all at once, right? So what teachers do and what nurses do and what mothers do is just that. They care. They, they nurture. And so we, we want to celebrate that. That's very much in keeping with who we think God has called us all to be, right? And so I pray that I could be the best uh, caring and nurturing person that I could be, even though um, no one calls me mother. (laughs) Um, So our text for today is from the book of Revelation. Now, the book of Revelation, which I think is often misunderstood, and I understand why it can be pretty opaque, it's kind of hard to understand... One of the, you know, the most cryptic of texts. At one point in the book of Revelation, it talks about a, a scroll being sealed with seven seals. And I think a lot of us feel like the book of Revelation is still sealed with seven seals, right? But it's yet to be opened, so we've yet to understand it. But in a lot of ways, I think the book of Revelation is like a fifth gospel. Like, if Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell us the story of Jesus on earth, right? Matthew and Luke will tell us his birth. But they all tell us, tell us, us, tell us of um, his life, his ministry, his teachings, his miracles, his death, his resurrection. Like the story of Jesus. So what Revelation does is it continues that story of Jesus. So, but it tells us the story of Jesus after the resurrection. So what has Jesus been up to since then? And that's what Revelation tells us. We see that Jesus is on the throne. We see that Jesus has been resurrected. We see that Jesus' blood has provided salvation uh, for the world. We see that Jesus will kind of come back as a, as a, righteous, as a righteous judge. And so that's the story that we're being told. And so this is a very appropriate text to kind of come in this season of Easter, so Easter is not just Easter Sunday, right? Easter tide, perhaps you've heard that term, or Easter season. We're in that Easter season. We're just a few weeks after Easter, and we're still kind of celebrating the resurrection. When Jesus was resurrected, it wasn't like he was resurrected and the next day he just goes to heaven and says, y'all be good, I'll be back later, right? He's around for a while, and we're still in that time When Jesus was around, he was being seen by his disciples. He was having meals with them. He was teaching them lessons, right? They were having experience with Jesus after the resurrection. And that's where we find ourselves. We are living in life after the resurrection. This is the new life. In a very real way, our death is behind us. In front of us is life. This is why we practice Christian baptism, right? When we baptize Christians, we're baptizing them kind of into death and we're raising them into life, right? They're being set free from the power of sin and they're anticipating that one day they'll be set free from the power of death because we believe in the resurrection of the body. That Jesus didn't just die on a cross and kind of go to heaven the same way, you know, like my parents, right, have died and gone to heaven. His body... Came, came alive, right? There is an empty tomb. And that empty tomb is right at the heart of Christian belief and Christian practice so that there is new life to be lived. And that's the new life in which we find ourselves, and that's the new life that Revelation is speaking about. So here, we're told that this great multitude from every tribe, language, people, and nation, and we're told what they're doing. But I want to back up in the story just a bit Because um, John does this thing in Revelation where he'll talk about hearing something, but then he'll talk about seeing something. So the story is very sensual. I mean, he sees, he hears, he tastes things, he smells things, he feels things. Like, the book of Revelation probably should be performed, right? It shouldn't just be read. So, like, there's these series of judgments, the judgments of the seals, the judgments of the trumpets, the judgments of the bulls. If you're unfamiliar with Revelation, just hang on a second. It'll make sense. But even if you are familiar and you think it doesn't make sense, um, the, the, the way in which you have those series, there's a soundtrack that plays. Like at the end of the seventh, there's seven in each one, and at the end of the seventh one, the same music is played. I think it's to tell us, like if we're watching a film or watching a TV show, we know what's going to happen based on the the music, right, based on the soundtrack. Like if somebody gets out of the van and they're going down that long road and the music is being played by like a timfany and a tuba, you know, boom, 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 boom. Like we're like, no, don't do that. No, turn around. Come this way. Like you're going to die, (laughs) right? It's like we, we haven't seen the film before, but we know it's going to happen because of the music. So Revelation is like that too. I wish we could actually see it performed. Because there are these times where you get this repetitive sound. And you're like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what that's about. We're coming to this kind of climax point. So as in all good stories, there's some foreshadowing. It tells us, you know, gives us a hint of what's going to happen. And there's a little bit of um, flash, flashbacks. Is that the term? Flashback? Yeah. All of a sudden, it didn't make sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, flashbacks. So we kind of go back and see other things. So it's not all linear. So this section that we read today is definitely a foreshadowing of what's going to happen. Like um, the, the first series of judgment have kind of crescendoed to the end and um, it went something like this. Um, the, there's, there's conquest and there's war and there's uh, death and disease and there's a pandemic. <laughs> oh no. There's like this famine, Right. And there's death. Everything's bad. There's martyrdom. And then it's like, it's like the apocalypse. It's the end of the world scenario. Like the sun's going dark and the moon's turning to blood and the stars are falling from the sky and the, and the armies are hiding out in caves because they're scared. And it says, who can stand the wrath of the Lamb? Which, of course, the obvious answer would be no one. But instead of, you turn the page and instead of seeing kind of the final judgment, you get this story, and it's about a bunch of people standing. It's kind of funny, right? Who can stand the wrath of the Lamb? We know that no one can stand, and yet here's this huge group of people, 144,000, 12,000 from each of the tribes of Israel, and they're all standing there. So again, let me, let me back up <laughs> and, and, and say a little bit about this hearing and seeing. So when, when John first has this vision of the, of the heavenly throne room, he sees the one on the throne, And in in his hand, in the one sitting on the throne, the Lord God Almighty, is a scroll. But the scroll is sealed so no one can have access to it. So John weeps, right? So if you're reading and it says that he weeps, you might kind of wonder, well, what's he crying about? But he's a prophet, and he's having a vision of God's throne. And so the scroll would represent the word of the Lord, So not to have access to the word of the Lord is not to have access as what he is then to share with the people. So he's crying, and he's kind of comforted by his guide. One of the 24 elders says, you don't have to weep. And this is what he hears. We sang about it, the lion and the lamb. He hears that the lion of Judah, the root of Jesse, right? Jesse uh, was the father of David, right? Um, the root of Jesse can take the scroll and open its seals and read what's in it, right? So now he's comforted. So the Lion of Judah can come. This is is very Jewish. This is very kind of militant. This is very strong. You know, the Lion of Judah can come and kind of solve your problems, John. And so he's heard this from his guide about the Lion of Judah, but he turns... And he looks, and what he sees is not a lion. But what he sees is a lamb. And catch this. The lamb looks like it had been sacrificed. Its throat is cut. It's bloody. Yet, it's standing up. It's alive. Like, you didn't know that the book of Revelation was kind of a horror film, (laughs) right? I said it should be performed, but it's like at least PG-13. Like, you don't want to show this to the children. So... The imagery, though, of a lamb that was slain and is now standing is not intended to be very cryptic. It's not intended to be hard to understand. Like, you should easily know that when you hear about the Lion of Judah and you see a lamb that was slain is now standing, the Lion of Judah and the lamb who is standing is... Do you know who that is? Yes, very good. Christ. It's Jesus like, again, this is not intended to be kind of difficult to understand. But again, he hears about the lion, and he sees the lamb. Then we get that long series of judgments, the conquest, the war, the economic disaster, the famine, the death, the disease, the martyrdom, the end of the world scenario. And then it says this, who can stand the wrath of the lamb? And you have this, he hears, John hears again over here, he's hearing about this 144,000, which is a really big number. But it's a very Jewish number because it's 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes, and it's a very militant number. So in the Old Testament, there are only two reasons that you would ever have a census. One is as um, taxes, right? If You're going to charge people taxes. And the other is if you're counting to see, to prepare for war. Um, and this, there, no one's about to be taxed here, Right, the the line of Judah is not coming to tax uh, the world, right, but to kind of conquer the world. So this this counting, this numbering, is a militant image. This is this is an army of the Lion of Judah. This is 144,000, a very large army uh, in the ancient world. So if Israel, if you look in the Old Testament, you never see them when when they're counting and preparing for war. They never have a number that large. This is huge. But again, like he's heard about the line of Judah, the root of Jesse, and he's heard about this great uh, number 144,000 of the 12 tribes. He turns and looks. But now what he sees is not 144,000 Jews. What he sees is a great multitude from every tribe which I would imagine would include the 12 tribes of Israel. Every language, every people, every nation. And this group is not associated with the line of Judah. This group is associated with the lamb that was slain. They are worshiping God, and they are worshiping the lamb. And it says that, they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Now, that's, that's a paradox. Washed their robes and made them white in blood? Like, if you have a white robe and you, and you washed it in blood, what color would it be? Red, right, exactly. But they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So, several things stand out to me there. One they haven't washed their robes and made them white in somebody else's blood, right? This group is not out there killing anyone. And for that matter, these aren't simply martyrs. They haven't washed their robes and made them white in their own blood, right? It's not their own death. I mean, you've heard before that Jesus died on the cross so you wouldn't have to. Well, even, had, even if you had died on a cross, what good would that have done you? You'd, you'd be dead. <laughs> Your own death can't save you. The only death that can save you is the death of Christ. Later in the book of Revelation, it'll say, this is how they conquered, by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, loving their lives, not eating on the death. So the washing of the blood, the washing in the blood that makes white is the blood of the lamb. There's, there's no other avenue here. But what's interesting, it wasn't that someone else had washed their robes. It says that they washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Which does suggest that this, this great multitude has some responsibility, right? They have responded, right? They have participated. And I think we can now count ourselves in this great multitude, right? The Lamb was slain and has been resurrected but we are required to wash our robes and make them white in the blood of the Lamb. We do that by responding in faith, right? By identifying, by the word of our testimony. It says, these are those who have come through the great ordeal. That was the translation that we read. Some translations call it the great tribulation. It is the only place in Scripture, by the way, that uses those two words together. Great tribulation is this passage in Revelation 7. So what might this mean? That on the one hand, John hears about a lion, but he sees a lamb. And on the other hand, he hears about this army of the lion, this 144,000, but he sees this multitude of the lamb, right? This is what I think is going on here. Our expectations are being both fulfilled and in a way challenged. Like we, we want... Uh, A God who will come and deliver us by force and by might, right? Strike down our enemies. But the problem with God striking down evil is that we ourselves participate in evil things, right? We do things that are wrong. We sometimes are the perpetrators. And if God just came and wiped out all of those who had sinned, we'd be in trouble. We too would be wiped out. But what we have in our God is the promise of the lion is fulfilled in the lamb. The promise in in an army of the lion is fulfilled in this army of the lamb. But the army of the lamb is not one that conquers in a way that armies typically conquer. It's ones who come and participate in this new life, this post-resurrection, this Easter life. In his, in his devotional book, um, We Make the Road by Walking, Brian McLaren describes it uh, this way. He says, Resurrection has begun. That is, the, the resurrection that we're all anticipating at the end, it's already begun. It began with Jesus' resurrection. This is life. Again, our death is behind us, friends. It's life that is in front of us. Brian writes, Resurrection has begun. We are part of something rare something precious, something utterly revolutionary. It feels like an uprising, an uprising of hope, not hate, an uprising armed with love, not weapons, an uprising that shouts a joyful promise of life and peace, not angry threats of hostility and death. It's an uprising of outstretched hands, not clenched fist. It's the someday we've always dreamed of, emerging in the present, Rising up among us and within us. It's so different from what we expected. So much better. This is what it means to be alive. Truly alive. This is what it means to be en route. Walking the road to a new and better day. Let's tell the others, the Lord is risen. Let's tell the others, the Lord is risen. That's the role we play. We are in that great multitude, that army of the Lamb. We see this in all sorts of ways. Like in Hebrews chapter 12, it says, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. There are all these folks who have gone before and all these folks that are even currently now serving God. And there's all these folks who in the years to come will serve God. And when we come to the table, that's exactly what we're experiencing right? We come to the Lord's table, but when we come, I want you to imagine that we're not just here with those of us who happen to be here this morning at Oasis. We're also at the table of the Lord with all those who will celebrate communion today. Space does not hinder God's presence. That makes sense, right? God's just not here. He's elsewhere. So if we're at the table and other people at the table today, we're celebrating the same table with them. But catch this. Time also does not hinder God's presence. So, you know when you get the big family together and you have kind of the long table? This is the long table of the Lord. When we come to the table, we can kind of turn our faces and look one way and see our parents and our grandparents and our great-grandparents and all those who have come to the table before us, which includes those people that Jesus originally served. And we can turn and look at the other way. And see our grandchildren's grandchildren who will also come to the same table. This is where we experience the communion of saints. We say it in the Apostles' Creed, that third section, right? There's a section on the Father, section on the Son, section on the Spirit. And the section on the Spirit, it says we believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in the one holy Catholic apostolic church, like church, Catholic little c, right? Universal church. We believe in the communion of saints. Ding, 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 ding in the resurrection of the body, in the life everlasting, uh, in forgiveness of sins, the life everlasting. Amen. So it's in that communion of saints, that great cloud of witnesses that Hebrews writes about, is this great multitude from every tribe, every language, every people, every nation, and they're giving glory to God. They're standing before the throne. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And so we're part, again, of a of a revolution, of a change, of a new life, but not of hate, of hope, not of war, of peace. One where we have outstretched hands, not clenched fist. This is where the Lord is leading us. The final line in that passage that that Wayne read for us said, talked about, you know, our our tears being wiped away and our Bodies being filled with joy, and it says, of this great multitude that no one could count from all these places and peoples and languages and such. It says, and the lamb will be their shepherd. The lamb will be their shepherd. Talking about a paradox. Right? Lambs need shepherds, right? Sheep need shepherds. Little sheep really need shepherds. But who was our shepherd? Our shepherd is is the Lamb. Hmm. Men, what? if sheep need shepherds and little baby sheep, lambs, really need shepherds, what does it say about us <laughs> that our shepherd is the Lamb? The Lamb is our shepherd. You know, we get this, the psalm today, with Psalm 23, the Lord is our shepherd, right? And we know that psalm so well, and we've spoken on it recently about how God calls us to places um, like the valley of the shadow of the death is not something that we've experienced arbitrarily. If we're following Christ, right, if the lamb is our shepherd, we will find ourselves in the valley of the shadow of death. Because to follow him is to follow him on the way to the cross. If you want to be my disciple, you will deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, right? As, as Chris Green said in the sermon I heard last year, the shadow of the the valley of death is cast from Jesus on the cross. But he doesn't leave us there, of course, right? He's there in the midst of that. And he's calling us then to the table. He's calling us, though, to a table that he has prepared. It's why we say it every Sunday. This is the table of the Lord, uh, not of the church, but of the Lord. It's a table that he has prepared. And here's the kicker. He's prepared it for our enemies, right? He hasn't just prepared it for us. He's prepared it before us in the presence of our enemies so that we, like our shepherd, can live sacrificial lives. So that we, like our shepherd, can serve. What does Jesus say to his disciples? He says, the Son of Man doesn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life for many. So that's who we are. We are those who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb so that not only is it the blood of the Lamb that saves us and that transforms us, it transforms us. Let me say that again. It doesn't just save us, it transforms us. It saves us from sin and death, but it transforms us into people like Christ. It makes us like the Lamb. The lamb is our shepherd, so that we too can become like the lamb. And we then become the body of Christ, agents of God's love, and of God's mercy, and of God's grace, and of God's forgiveness. And that's who we are. Like, we call ourselves Oasis. And I think it is a good name for who we are. Oasis is this, this place of safety. It's a place of, of life. It's a place of, of of water in the midst of the desert. And that's that that's really I think who we are. This is the place to come and to drink deeply from the wells of water of life. So deeply that it doesn't just fill us, but it overflows out of us.